In 2022, there were 1 billion telehealth visits in the U.S. That's astounding. In fact, one in five healthcare sessions happened via technology. Clearly, this is a big part of the future of healthcare. Technology has changed the way we watch TV, get our news, buy groceries, get to the airport, even helps us drive our cars. So how can we use all this technology to improve and strengthen your relationships with your patients? Our guest today is the perfect person to help us tackle this topic. He's been an innovator, disruptor, and leader in chiropractic for decades. Dr. Guy Reekman is an international lecturer, author, and second-generation chiropractor. He has a long history of innovation pioneering video education for patients way back in 1977. Dr. Reekman has been a leader, advocate, and trailblazer. Frankly, his CV is too lengthy and accomplished for the time we have here, so Dr. Reekman, welcome to Chiropractical. Thanks, and thanks for not reading my resume. I, I'm afraid that that resume would take up two or three podcasts just to get through. <laughs> so let's dive in. There's so much tech out there now, and it's a challenge to keep up on the opportunities. One opportunity you are very in tune with is remote patient management. Help us understand what is it and why has healthcare embraced it? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing we need to accept is that we all live lives of remote management on some level already. The question then becomes, how does that apply to healthcare? And Remote patient management is a subset, if you will, of remote life management that healthcare is using today to help manage patient care. What are the benefits to chiropractic patients in the short and long term of participating in remote patient management? Yeah, the chiropractic patient has already embraced this notion of remote patient management. Telehealth is a very small portion of remote patient management, but it's reflective of the bigger picture. There were 350,000 televisits to MDs in 2016. Last year, there were 1 billion, 1 billion telehealth visits. In fact, one out of every five medical visits last year was a virtual visit. You were not in a room with a doctor. You were doing this virtually through Zoom or some other mechanism. It's really grown. One out of every five cell phone users in the United States already has an app on their phone that their medical doctor is using to manage their care. And then you look at hospitals, 75% of hospitals in the United States today have their own app. White Plains Hospital in New York, for example, has an app called Hospital at Home, and they sign up 50% of all the people that come through the hospital onto their app, which means it is now in our patients' living rooms and bedrooms and kitchens and on the sides of soccer fields. They're sending them medical information. They're sending them information on COVID vaccines and flu vaccines and new drugs that are being released and medical procedures and medical research. And in essence, to a large degree, all the work we're doing, even with our patients and our practices, is being negated because medicine is talking to them directly through their iPhone or their computer in a format that's easy for them to access and understand. We had a focus group of 25 patients from different offices across the United States and Canada for a year. And one of the questions we asked them was, where do they go for their information? And interestingly enough, every one of them said, I have more questions to ask my chiropractor, but I don't ask because I know they're too busy. They weren't mad about it. They just realized that we had a reception room full of people and they couldn't expect us to stop and spend 45 minutes explaining, for example, 
the value of chiropractic for pregnancy. And so we asked them, if you're not getting information from your chiropractor, where are you getting the information from? And of course, you know what the answer was, which was Google and WebMD, which is not the information we want our patients to have. There's a lot of information out there that patients are accessing it, and a lot of it isn't favorable to chiropractic. What's the benefit of using app technology versus in-office, one-on-one patient contact? I understand the accessibility, but what are the other benefits of using this technology versus the one-on-one patient encounter? Yeah, I know we always think in terms of what's the benefit to us as a chiropractor. But of course, our first question, as you just pointed out, should always be, what's the benefit to the patient? And I think there's three of them. On the biggest scale, on the most important scale, in our services, chiropractors to patients and their health. I went and Googled the top 10 lifestyle diseases in the United States today. And it's not a list that would surprise anyone. Heart disease, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, neurodegenerative diseases, stroke, type 2 diabetes, etc. A fairly comprehensive list. And then I went to each of the organizations that represent care for those areas to find out what they're recommending. Because if they are lifestyle diseases, the idea is that if we change the lifestyle, we alter the outcome, maybe even avoid the disease altogether. I'm going to suggest If we can help people affect a chiropractic lifestyle, a more naturalistic lifestyle, and looking at all the things that are necessary to impact people. So, for example, the American Heart Association says you've got to get 150 minutes of exercise every week, moderate alcohol, change your diet, clean up your diet, get rid of the toxins and crap that's in our food, obviously treat any heart conditions that you might have, and lower blood pressure, which we know happens every time a patient gets adjusted. Then you look, for example, at Alzheimer's. You go to NIH and get that information. It's the same list, 150 minutes of exercise every week, moderate diet. I could go through every one of these conditions, but they all come down to basically the same things. We got to clean up what we eat and how we eat it. We have to create healthy relationships with other human beings, which is critical to health. We have to get moving, exercise, if you will, increase our flexibility, strength, and endurance. We need to get our brain working, and we need to lower blood pressure, which I said happens whenever people get under chiropractic care, thanks to the research from Dr. Dick Holtz out of Chicago, which was the only peer-reviewed chiropractic research ever published in JAMA, was the effects of chiropractic on lowering blood pressure. How do we provide the information for people to control their weight and to get exercise and to build healthy relationships and positive attitudes about life, et cetera? remote management can be used effectively by chiropractors because we can't as chiropractors manage all that in our practice, but we can provide that kind of information and resources to patients through app technology and then be able to monitor and oversee them. So to me, that's the first major benefit to the patients long-term is we really are at a naturalistic lifestyle to the chiropractic care we're providing. The other thing is I recently read an article that not only is app technology the future of healthcare, but it actually increases the intensity and quality of the in-office visit. So if a chiropractor isn't having to deal with all sorts of questions and issues in the office and spending time to do that, they can actually focus on the patient's clinical care more effectively. Thirdly, I made a list up the other day of 
what kind of things have to go on in the office to build a successful practice? One, we have to be competent care practitioners. We have to educate our patients so they can make different decisions about healthcare. We have to provide resources for other health issues that they come up with from issues on pregnancy and on diet and nutrition, et cetera. We need to get them to follow our care. Obviously, we want them to refer and getting them to refer is something that requires some training with patients to some degree. We need to build rapport, confidence, and trust with patients. And then we need to be available to patients, even in between visits, for communications. And as I was looking at that list, the ones that have to happen in the office are obviously clinical care. We have to put our hands on people and provide them chiropractic care. Secondly, we need to build rapport and confidence and trust. And that, of course, is best done face-to-face, interacting with patients when we give them reports, et cetera. But almost everything else we do can be done more effectively through remote management, educating our patients, the notion of education, referrals, providing other resources when people need other healthcare issues like weight loss or gut restoration when these kinds of issues, all of those things can be handled remotely so that we can focus more effectively on what we're best at, which is adjusting patients, providing clinical care, and building that confidence and rapport with the patient. I would think that there's a balancing act here. What tasks can we offload to the technology? And what tasks do we as doctors need to maintain to remain as part of that face-to-face doctor-patient interaction? Yeah. And I think for me, it's the question of what produces the best outcome or technology. If I have a patient in the office and I'm sitting there and on visit one, I'm trying to give them a basic understanding of the principles of chiropractic. And visit two, I'm trying to explain to them how we view health versus medical community that just sees it as the absence of disease. And visit three, I'm trying to explain the importance of the nerve system. As I'm building, that requires a lot of discipline and redundancy in the office. That's best downloaded to a patient who can pull their phone out while they're laying in bed before they go to sleep at night and can see a three-minute produced video on one of those subjects and then get that information drips to them every week so that they're educated. I'm going to say that educating patients is done much more effectively, even if we like to do it, which most chiropractors don't, but it's done much more effectively with technology. I'll give you a real practical example. In our focus group, we asked the question that all chiropractors would love to ask their patients, do you ever talk about me when you leave the office? Do you ever talk about your care? One guy said, I have lunch with the same nine people every day at my job. I told them that since I've been seeing a chiropractor, I haven't had one headache after having headaches regularly for 20 years. One of the fellows said, I've been thinking about seeing a chiropractor. No referral. Maybe six months down the road, something happens. They really get an emergency. They think I got to contact a chiropractor now. They probably won't remember the chiropractor's name, right? Technology can change that. So imagine you're sitting at lunch. You're this guy. You say, I haven't had a headache since I've been seeing a chiropractor. And someone says, I've been thinking about seeing a chiropractor. You just take out your iPhone, which everybody has sitting right there by their lunch. You open it up. You put the prospective patient's name in. You even check off, for example, how the office should contact them. Does the prospective patient want to get an email or a text? It's submitted to the office. When the staff comes in, all the referrals are there and how to go after them, right? So they know who to email, who to text, who to make a call to. Much more effective way of doing it. 
the haranguing patients in the office or trying to hand them brochures to hand out to people. There are just some things that are much better done, like patient education, referrals, communication in between visits. Let's say a patient got up off the table and said, hey, doc, what do you think about intermittent fasting as an example? Now, I can do a 10-minute bad job explaining intermittent fasting, or I can just tell them, why don't you go to your app and pull up a section on intermittent fasting? It'll explain the whole thing to you. And then if you have any questions, I can cover them with you on another visit. I just saved myself 10 minutes of time. The patient got a better explanation. And I go on to the next patient and do what I do best, which is clinically take care of them. Let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about the staff role and how technology and RPM can impact office staff. What does it do for their workload? Is there more work involved for them to manage this technology? I would imagine that's not the case. I would imagine that there's a lot of time-saving efficiencies. Absolutely. In fact, if it increases workload, then somebody's doing something wrong. Literally, once you lock in on what kind of technology or app technology, remote patient management technology you want, the only thing is to get people signed up on it. That's as simple as saying, hey, we use this particular app. Go to the app store and download it. We'll use that app to help manage your care along with the care you're receiving in the office. That's literally all that's done. You're not selling it to them. You're just telling them it's part of it. It's just a way of providing better care for patients and helping them readjust their lifestyle. But instead of adjusting it to a WebMD lifestyle, we want them to adjust it to a chiropractic lifestyle. Dr. Reekman, this is great information. I really appreciate you sharing this with us. You've really put your money where your mouth is and created an app that will empower doctors to leverage tech to help their patients. Can you tell us a little bit about the app that you've developed? Ours is not a management or a disease app. Ours is definitely in this category of a lifestyle management app. It has six domains in it. The first domain is called Vital Health. Uh, It was designed by a group of doctors who practice functional medicine. And in functional medicine, we know there are six precursors to disease, like neurointegrity, cardiometabolic wellness, environmental toxins. So they designed 60 questions. The patient takes them. And then at the end of that, it gives them a score, which is a lifestyle score. It lets them know whether their lifestyle is headed in the right or wrong direction. Then it has a list of typical goals that a patient might have, all the way from I want to do a cleanse, I want to lose weight, I need to clean up how I sleep, etc. So they can lay out their goals. That's the first section. The second section is uh, on uh, nutrition. There's over 20 different topics. There's a section on movement, which is about strength, flexibility, and endurance. Patients take a physical test that gives them a score, puts them in a beginner, intermediate, or advanced program. And then they can choose to do a gym routine or a yoga routine. So let's say they're in the intermediate level and they choose yoga. There's a 15-minute intermediate yoga routine they follow on the screen, and it's designed to increase their strength, flexibility, and endurance. There's a section on brain health designed by chiropractic functional neurologists to help identify any areas of the brain that aren't working effectively. And then it provides intermediate or it provides exercises to integrate brainstem and cerebral and Beller cortex integration. And then the last section, we have 16 programs that range from weight loss to 
gut restoration, and all that information flows into the patient's file in the office. And when the patient comes in, there's a quick one-page report that comes up so the doctor can support them and talk to them about the programs they're looking into with the app. So that's the app that we've developed very quickly, and it's called My Lifestyle IQ. And where can we find the app? You can go to mylifestyleiq.com, and there'll be a place that explains it all, both the patient and the doctor's benefits. And you can actually, with the push of a button, set up a calendar call and speak to one of our staff people. They'll get on the line with you, explain the app, show it to you, and talk about the benefits for the chiropractor and the patient. Great. Dr. Rickman, thank you for talking with us and helping us understand these tech issues. Great information and great opportunities out there for doctors. It's time for Ask NCMIC, where we take your questions and have experts provide answers. This time, Dr. Harris from Wisconsin says, My staff means well, but they click on emails that look like they're from me, but they're not. I know this is dangerous. How can I help them and me stay safe? NCMIC faces this problem along with everybody else. We even have a guy here at NCMIC who works on this every day, and I'm happy to have him to address this issue. Keith Mulbauer is NCMIC's cybersecurity expert, and he's the guy who helps keep our team safe from cyber attacks. So Keith, how can doctors and their teams recognize these threats, and what should they be doing to minimize their risks? Mike, in this case, uh, Dr. Harris is definitely right to be concerned, and uh, these are real-world threats and things that we see all the time. Hackers completely have the ability to spoof email accounts. Other things that we see is they compromise email accounts. So these emails can come from a legitimate source, but we don't know who the actual person is sending those emails. The best defense in this case is awareness and a healthy level of skepticism. I think it's important that we everybody understands that these capabilities are out there and people are trying to do these things to us. And there's certain things that we can look for. The timing of the message. Is this message, does it come out of the blue? Is it something that doesn't, wouldn't normally come from this person? The other thing to look at is the content of the message. How well is it written? Is it consistent with the way that this particular person would normally write a message? Is there anything there for a clue that this doesn't look like it's quite coming from the right person? And the other thing to look for is urgency. Does the message, are they trying to get you to click on something? Are they trying to get you to open an attachment? Those are all clues that maybe this message isn't really coming from the person we think it's coming from. If you've got any questions, the first thing we need to do is stop and think before we click anything, before we click any links, before we click any files and open any attachments. The best thing to do is reach out directly to that person and ask them to verify that this message is legitimate. And don't respond to the email itself. The best case here is to call them directly or talk to them directly and ask them if it's legitimate. The real challenge here is hackers only have to be right once. They just need to trick one person one time. But to protect ourselves, we have to be right every time. It takes diligence and a healthy level of skepticism, but if we stop and think before we click, we can avoid a lot of these situations. Keith, thank you for taking time to talk with us. Very helpful information. 
If you have a question you would like us to address on Ask NCMIC, please shoot us an email at askncmic at ncmic.com. Before we go, I'd like to remind our listeners about NCMIC's resources for your practice. Check out ncmic.com for our latest articles and case studies. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as always, if you have questions, please give us a call. Thank you for listening and talk soon.